everyone, I'm Ari and I'm your host for the Merry Writer podcast. Rachel is unable to join us today following a death in her family, so I ask that you all please do keep her in your thoughts. This week is episode 184 and I'm joined by a guest as I ask the question, what health problems can writers face? Before we dive into the topic, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening if you haven't already. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with friends and feel free to write a review. Now, please help me welcome AJ Alexander to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for the invitation, Ari. It's great to be here. Before we go further, would you like to tell everyone why you chose to discuss health problems for writers as a topic? Well, um, being a writer and sitting in front of the computer or a notebook like a pretzel was part of it. Then the alleged pressure hit my mental state and I dug up some reasons for all this. You know, being in pain and feeling some pressure, I think that what originally drove that all in gear. Yeah, I think it's actually a really good topic to talk about because we don't often discuss health issues with writers. I mean, there'll be the the odd thing that comes up about like, you know, burnout and self-care, but we don't often drill down about other health issues that people can suffer from. So I think this is a really good topic. So with that, we'll, we'll dive into our first question. How important is it for writers to monitor their health? Well, many of us writers feel the long-term effects of the writer part in our lives far too late. It's important for every writer to keep an eye on their own well-being. How else are we productive when we feel unwell or we are in pain or we suffer from depression? It's not so hard to be conscious of what we are doing and set us goals, not only for writing, but also for ourselves and our health. Um, we have to learn about the problems we can face and we should know the repercussions is, you know, that's a start. We need to identify the problems and take action before it's too late. I think that's a really good point, especially because there are a lot of new writers and younger writers. And I think what obviously can happen with younger writers is they might not suffer from any health issues straight away or they might not even consider that that's something that might come up later on in life. So being aware of sort of health issues that might be something they want to keep an eye on is quite important to talk about, even for younger writers who maybe not suffer from anything at this moment. Because as you said, it's kind of like catching things early is really important. I do agree with you. You know, in particular, when you are of a certain age, like I am, and all of a sudden things hurt that you never even know you had, you know, it's really important for the younger ones to to be advised to keep an eye on that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Ever since I, I hit 40, I've noticed a lot more aches and pains and things that I could do before. I, it's just gone straight down the hill. And now I really appreciate a really good chair. It's like, it's like so important. So with that being said, what sort of health issues can writers face and the things that they should be looking out for? Okay, we start with a list of things that are co very common with every writer and many don't know it's, it is from writing or the way they write. And we're talking about headaches, vision problems, obesity, um, neck and back problems, muscular disorders, a lack of vitamin D or depression. You know, sometimes it really goes that far. Now, how can we avoid these health issues. Um, let's have a look at the different health challenges, like headaches and vision problems that are often caused by staring into an older computer monitor for hours without even resting your head or your eyes. 
recommended is taking a break every 30 to 60 minutes latest to give yourself a short rest. Get out, walk around, open and close your eyes, stretch your body. It's helpful in more than one way. You will see that. Then obesity. Many writers claim their creativity flows mainly at nighttime, which isn't surprising since many writers are working full-time jobs and in the evening their families demand their attention and uh, they'll use whatever time of the day they have left. Unfortunately, when they are ready, when, when they have peace to write, they barely move during the nighttime, but they're tempted to keep their drinks and snacks as close as possible to avoid wasting time getting up, getting each one of them. And this all leads to extremely unhealthy eating habits and can cause weight gain and cardiac problems. A recommended in this case is set a time limit for writing in the evening and on weekends. And then you can tell your family you need a few hours of quiet time for writing. There's nothing wrong about that. When you prepare for writing, there's nothing wrong with a drink or a snack, but pour yourself some water and prepare a healthy snack such as berries or apple slices. If possible, before you go to bed, take out the dog for a quick walk around the block. It will relax you, make you move. It's healthy for your weight and the tension in your neck, back and other muscles. If you don't have a dog, friends love going for walks too. Also, we have wrong chairs that often cause neck and back problems, incorrect heights of chairs and slouching on the chair. And that's what actually caused me the problems that I had for quite a while. And, you know, getting up and moving around in regular pauses, like 20 to 30 minutes intervals is an innovative and healthy thing to do. Recommended is before you sit down to write, go outside, get your body to move, stretch your back and neck, relax while walking. Don't go causing yourself to think about too much or, you know, to solve problems while you walk. Relax it. Take your dog for a walk, provided you have one. If not, cats love walk too, and so do children, husbands, wives, girls, and boyfriends, fiancés, horses, guinea pigs, and other pets. Also, getting up and moving around is helping with obesity, muscular disorders, and even the lack of vitamin D, because that usually shows up when you are not in the sun or outside in nature for a while. Depression is a horrible, invisible, hidden, but ongoing disease. And if it's untreated, extremely dangerous to the patient. Depression come out very sneaky without us even realizing it. Recommended is in that case, when we're diagnosed, get professional help. It is essential that you won't let yourself fall any deeper into this hole as necessary. The earlier you get that taken care of, the better for you and everyone in your life. And believe me, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's, I mean, I was diagnosed with depression and my doctor was very good, actually, because not only did they go through all the different options, I was even put through a referral system to go to the local gym and it was specifically designed for mental health issues. And I have actually been doing that, which was very difficult because obviously when you have depression and you're in you know, the worst moods, it's hard to get yourself to do something that you know might help. So... That was uh, that was fun, but I was actually quite happy with that, trying to do that because it was just something so much more different than what usually gets offered when you go to the doctors and you're dealing with depression or anxiety or any of those kind of mental health issues. And so far, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely helping in some ways, definitely. 
But going back to to some of the other points you made, when you mentioned about like writing in the evening and how people can end up writing really late and then like eating bad snacks, especially late at night and everything. I used to be a night writer years ago. I was a night writer and I didn't really, it didn't really twig to me that yes, obviously, as you said, because I worked a full-time job, it was easier to push all my writing to the to the evening because obviously I was getting up early, completing my chores, commuting to a job, working long hours, coming home, doing the rest of my chores. And then the only time I had was kind of the evening. And I didn't realize it was actually causing insomnia to the point where it was like I was getting like three hours sleep a day for like months. And I just, I had to just stop because writing is such a mentally active activity. It's hard to shut your brain down and like, go right, I finished. I'll just go and sleep. And if you already have insomnia, it pushes it even further out. So maybe you would have stayed awake till like three in the morning, four in the morning. Now it was like six in the morning, still wide awake. And it actually did cause a lot of issues. Well, too many writers have that problem because, you know, when you start writing, writing not yet covers your rent. You got to, you know, work in another job and it's it's just uh, getting too much. And, uh, you know, you're in kind of a trap without many realizing it. I personally had that problem, too, but I needed to, you know, take the weekends for my writing um, in order to get to bed to a decent time. That's it. I think there's even been something that gets passed around a lot on social media where it's like, you know, oh, writers, uh, most writers are night owls and like, you know, the most intelligent and creative writers write at night. And obviously this is just silly. It's like, I think whether you're a really good writer or what, or how creative you are, I don't think it matters when you write. I think that's just one of those things that people like to talk and sort of put up. And like you said, I had to claim back my evenings. So what I did was, like yourself, I would work on the weekends. And then I would also, I started taking a, back before, back before mobile phones, an analog recorder with me. And I would just press record and set it on my car's dashboard. And during my commute, I would just brainstorm or I would talk out scenes. So instead of waiting until the evening and then doing all the brainstorming and then doing all the scene ideas and, and character profiles or any of the writing, I would just record it. You know, I could add like an hour and a half commute one way, an hour and a half commute the other way. And I would just do it then. Or sometimes I would make notes on my lunch break. And it just took away the need to spend all evening writing. And now I I don't have the energy to write in the evening. I am much more of a morning writer. So it does change as, as you get older or just like situations can make you change. I think some people are like, well, I've always been a night writer. It's like, you don't have to be. You can change it if you need to. You know, you're not so stuck in a pattern that could end up being detrimental to your health. And I think sometimes that is an issue. Well, I do know that, you know, somebody with a family, you know, with a spouse with kids has a little more difficulties to um, be at home and just write, you know, as compared to me, who doesn't have to consider who else is around. Well, unless you count my cat, but that's different. But other than that, I do understand your spouse want some time with you um your kids want some time with you but it is really important that you know during the weekend you can say i would like some time for myself to write there's nothing wrong with that and you know every family member has some me time and has to write for some me time and so do writers 
I think it's all about balance, isn't it? I think like if you're going into the weekend and using the entire weekend just to write, I can appreciate why a spouse or your children or your family members or friends would feel that they were being ignored. But at the same time, having some time is definitely something that should be accepted. You know, it's like you can't assume if you can't have time writing during the week that you you know, you have to spend all your time at the weekend with everybody else. It's like, we all need quiet time. We all need creative time. So even if it's just like, well, I'll work for a couple of hours on Saturday and Sunday, or I'll work all Saturday on the writing, and then I'll have Sunday as a day with the family or something. I think it's it's all about balance. And it can be hard because creativity is one of those things where when you get an idea and it's like really, really like fiery in your head, you just want to get it down. You just want to write and you can lose track of time. So with that, I'm going to piggyback off something else you said about how, you know, they said, uh, is it 30 minutes to an hour? You should, then you should move, shouldn't you? And I remember watching a video, and I'm probably going to butcher this lady's name, and I apologise in advance, um, by Dr. Joan Vernikos. They never, it's never Smith, is it? It's never something easy. It's always something that's slightly different that I'm probably going to end up ruining. But yes, Dr. Joan Vernikos, who was a research scientist and the former director of NASA's life science division. And she did a video talking about how the concept that we always sit, we're sitting, we're a very sedentary society at the moment. There's, there's not loads of people toiling in the fields like there was generations and generations ago. There are still people toiling in fields, but more and more people in the world are sitting behind desks, sitting in chairs all the time. And she was saying how every 30 minutes, even if you just stand up from your chair just for a few seconds, that will make so much more of a difference for your health than if you sit for four hours and then walk around the block. Because it's like you can't go for these really long periods of time sitting because that is so detrimental. And I actually, I remember I watched her video and it was so good. And then I found out about something it's called, it's an app called the Mind Bell and people use it for meditation. And literally it's a really gentle tone. It's just on my phone and every 30 minutes. So I start a time at say like nine in the morning and then at seven in the evening it stops. But between those two times, every 30 minutes, it just gives me a gentle chime. And it's just a reminder to get up off my seat. That's it. I can stand up and maybe I'll think, oh, I'll go and get some more water or I'll walk around my room or I'll just stand and stretch for a second and then sit back down. But it's been so useful to get me up because I know if I didn't have it, I wouldn't do it. Not because I'm I'm thinking, oh, it's fine. I don't need to. It's because I, I get so locked into focus, especially if you're in the flow of writing a story or a scene or something that you just forget. You don't realise how much time has passed. So having something external just bleeping at you, and it's really gentle. You know, some, some of these like timers, they like bleep really loudly at you and it completely disrupts what you're doing. I don't find that with the mind bell. It just, it's just a really gentle single chime and I have my phone next to me and it just, it's just a quick reminder, right? just get up, just get up. If you want to walk around, if you want to stretch, if you want to just stand for a few minutes, a few seconds and then sit down, even something small like that makes a difference. But obviously if you can go for a walk, if you can walk around your room or do a few stretches, Obviously, that's much better than just standing up for a few seconds. But even just that will make a difference. And it shows just how devastating sitting for long periods of time is for your health. That if a few seconds of standing can make all the difference, how bad is sitting? 
I know exactly what you're talking about, since I do have a sitting job. And then, you know, coming home and in my free time, I'm writing, which is another sitting thing. I had to push myself and force myself to get up as well. I, I'm doing this for years. And I had a former boss, you know, for example, uh, when you're at the office, there is a certain big building and I made it my habit to rather walk to hand something over or then use your phone and ask somebody a question. Just walk there. You know, it really helps a lot. Um, A former boss of mine said, what are you doing? I said, well, watching my health. I'm stretching my back. I'm walking. Why? Well, you know, that's a lot of uh, time that you need there. Well, you know, what do you want? Staple me to my chair? And then he understood that what I was saying had something. When he started doing that, he tells me, you know, my back doesn't hurt that much anymore. Oh, great. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And then, you know, when I'm home and I'm writing, I do have a cat and she's part of the health exercise, literally. When she wants something, she tells me pretty loudly what she wants and I'll get up, pick her up. You know, that's that's my stretching. And then put her down again. She does not jump out of my arms anymore because she's uh, she's an older cat, you know, so I put her down to the ground. So my stretching is guaranteed. I like that. As a cat owner myself, or a cat servant, I should say, we we have an elderly cat who obviously I have to bend down and give strokes to because he won't come up anywhere. And he's like, and he won't come to you. It's like, come here. You come here to me and stroke me. I'm not getting up. So you always have to find, wherever he is, you have to find him. And then we have a one-year-old kitten who is still very much a kitten and she likes to play fetch. And when she was really young, she would bring the hair bubble, because that's what she likes, hair bubble. And she would bring it to you and you would throw it and she would bring it to you. Now she she brings it halfway and she expects me to move and get it. So I can end up spending 20 minutes bending down, picking up her bubbles and throwing them and walking around the house because I need to move her around so I can do other things while I'm up. And uh, yeah, it's quite, it's quite a good exercise dealing with cats. <laughs> Just on the topic of timeframes and timers, have you or do you try the Pomodoro technique? I know a lot of writers like the idea of that kind of 25 minutes of writing and then you take a five minute break where you should get up and move around, maybe get some more healthy snacks and then come back. Have you ever tried that? No, not a regular interval thing. It's, you know, with me, it's more like, you know, I check the clock once in a while. And then, you know, or I sit straight up and, and then I'm telling myself, oh, are you stupid? You know, you're sitting like a pretzel again or like a croissant, maybe. And, you know, usually then I get up, stretch, walk around for a while. I try to limit my snacks healthy or not. So not to not eat that much in between meals. But that's part of what I had to do in order to lose weight. So I'll keep that. Yeah, I think it's almost like a, a a meme in itself, isn't it? The writer, you know, we, we drink lots of tea and coffee, like excessive amounts, and then we just eat all the garbage snacks all the time. I think I can understand the whole snacking thing, because sometimes, especially when you're in the flow and you're writing, the idea of stopping and getting up, it can be difficult. So whenever I've had snacks, I used to have like, you know, bad cheesy snacks that are not good for you. And I did start sort of phasing them out and I would set up snacks in the morning so I'd always have water because I don't really drink juice or anything fizzy so it's if it's not tea it's water and it's never it's never good teas it's tea with milk and sugar so it's not good you get all these people drinking these nice herbal teas that are good for them it's like no so I try and drink more water but I would always like create a little snack pot and it would be like cut carrots 
peppers, grapes, cherry tomatoes, and then a handful of like nuts, like healthier nuts. And I would use that and it was, it would just take off the edge that would make me want a snack. And it was a lot healthier than if I was just, you know, putting cheesy watsits in my face. And I often found it's not even what you're eating. It's like the act. You're not like craving the snack. It's almost like you, you need to do something with your hands. So when you stop for a second, just reaching over and, and putting something in your face. It might not be that you're hungry, but you just need to snack on something. So at least if you've got something healthy, it takes away the craving of, of eating anything. And at least you're eating something a bit healthier. I don't like celery. But apparently that's a really good one because it's, it's like mostly water, but it tastes horrible. But if you like celery, that's a good one to have because you can just crunch away and it does almost nothing. I think isn't that the one that you actually burn more calories eating it? <laughs> I totally agree. You have, you have me there. When it's cooked, well, okay, I can live with it. But raw, nah, no way. I work with baby carrots a lot. That's not too bad. I have to limit it because it's good, but it can have weird reactions on your body. So just a handful is, is okay. I also force myself, you know, a handful of nuts to eat one nut after another instead of, you know, stuffing like six nuts into my mouth after two or three times grabbing over. I'm done. It's not helpful. And then going on a low-carb diet, that's part of what I was looking for. So um, I even have snacks, you know, prepare snacks for myself that are healthy, that are low-carb. I think that's it. It's it's preparing, isn't it? it? I think if you don't set anything up and think, oh, I, I won't need snacks, and then the craving comes or you sort of get that, you know, oh, I just want to eat something. It's quicker to go and grab a packet of crisps or chips. I think Americans call it chips or um, sweets or chocolates or anything. Whereas if you've considered it in the day thinking, right, I'm going to do some writing today. So I've got my bottle of water, a nice big bottle so that you don't have to keep refilling it. Or if you want to get a reason to get up, get a small one and then healthy snack. I think when we don't prepare is when we're going to be reaching for the crisps and the chips and the sweets. And I have to say, I am impressed with your ability to eat one nut at a time. I can't do that. Even with the nuts I don't like, because I try and eat ones I don't. I'm not a big fan of almonds, but I try and eat them every now and then. But like cashews, I just shove them all in all the time, which is very bad, as you said. But I, I don't even know how I could manage to just have one at a time. <laughs> It was hard for me to learn uh, with the cashews to take one after another because they're a little bit um, a weakness of mine as well. Cashews, it's it's very dangerous. However, I started preparing myself, you know, some cheese pieces which are healthy and low carb, even though not exactly calorie free. So what I also do is prepare chicken pieces. And, you know, sometimes I put some different spices on it and, you know, make different little containers so I can snack on them while I write. That's cool. I like that. It's just, it's just different ideas, isn't it? Different things just so that you're so you're not reaching for things you shouldn't be reaching for. And if we go back to when you were talking about going for walks, I love going for walks. We have a quite a nice walk that goes around. We don't have dog, but we just like going for walks. If anything, it's to get away from the cats. So we go for a walk <laughs> to get away from the cats. And they're, every two minutes, you can hear them climbing up the curtains or trashing something they shouldn't have found or climbing on something they shouldn't have. Just to give me sort of peace of mind. It's like, I'm going to go out for a walk. 
So it's actually good to have cats for that reason. And I think one of those things is walking is such a good exercise. It's low impact, but still quite good for the heart, the lungs, the muscles. And I think it's only like 30 minutes. It's quite a good just 30 minute walk, like a gentle walk, not even like a brisk power walk is still really good. And one of the things I always found with walking, which I think if people are, are not interested in walking or are kind of umming and ahhing about, oh, do I, really, do I really want to go out for a walk? I've got writing to do. One of the things I personally find when I go for a walk is because you're away from the office, away from the desk, and you're just out in nature or even on the road and you're just not really thinking, it really helps to kind of fill up the creative well. Or if you've got a problem, like a plot point issue or a character problem, going for walks is a really good way for the kind of like the back of your mind to just be sort of shuffling those ideas around. And often you can come up with better ideas or fixes to problems you have in your stories while going out for a walk. It's almost like the shower thing. You know, people always get like, why do I get the best ideas and thoughts in the shower? And there's actually a name for it. And I think it's because it's like, you're doing something active, like you're cleaning yourself, you're, you're washing your hair, but at the same time, it gives you enough quiet time in your brain that you're sort of drifting off. You know, you're not actually like concentrating on, sh- on shampooing your hair you're just doing it because it's a it's an action but it's not a complicated action that you need to think about you know you're slapping some co- uh, shampoo on and you're whapping it in your hair and you're rubbing it and it allows part of your brain to just kind of daydream and that's why you get more ideas in the shower because you've got this kind of active part of your brain and the daydream part of your brain working and i think walking's like that because you know you know if you're if you're able to walk you know how to walk you don't sit there thinking one foot one foot one foot one foot you just do it and because of that, you're doing something active and the other part of your brain is just kind of, it can just sort of float off for a bit. And it's really good for that. Do you find that when you go for walks that it could help with the creative well? Yes, I do. And now I have two different kinds of walk, you know, the ones when I take my cat and that's not very creative for me. She loves to sit on my arm, but occasionally um, she is interested in something she wants down. So, And then also if you have other people's walking, she's a main Coon cat. She's absolutely drop that gorgeous. And there are so many people, oh my God, can I pet the cat? So it's like, you know, you can't think about any creative process without being disturbed. So where's the point of getting away from whoever disturbs you at home? home as compared to yeah go for a walk be disturbed there when i go for walks on myself yes I do experience certain creativity or, you know, solving plot problems or giving a character a different way of thinking or, you know, whatever comes up. I have been known to talk to one of my characters while I walk. Now, that's a little awkward for people who might meet me. Oh, I should think she's got mental issues. (laughs) I think every writer, to a certain degree, experiences their characters walking in their heads or talking in their heads, sorry. But talking to a character is a little different. I just wanted to hear literally how it sounded when a particular character says something. And that's what I tried out. The looks were a little weird. (laughs) But generally, yes, um, but you know, have doing showers or doing dishes. That's another thing. If I'm cleaning something, oh my God, I get the best ideas. Because you're doing that mechanically. It's not something that occupies your brain. And here we go. You're basically re- relaxed. Well, not necessarily while cleaning because you want it over as fast as possible. But still, your mind's not occupied. And that's when usually, you know, ideas kick in lot things come up so um that's absolutely explainable 
Yeah, it's like I always find it interesting that obviously I know some people who get ideas, they could just be like sat daydreaming, just literally, you know, sat on the sofa, sat outside, not doing anything, and they get ideas. That never worked that well for me. Like that, you know, like if I was doing the dishes, if I was doing the hoovering, that's when the ideas would pop in. So yeah, like you're you're doing the the cleaning, the dishes, the hoovering, it just kind of clears some of your brain. And I always find I get better ideas and fixes doing that than I ever would if I was just like, I'm going to sit and and like daydream. I kind of need that little bit of activity. So that's why walking is really good. That's why cleaning is really good. And it's a good excuse to get your chores done because <laughs> you might get a good idea while you're doing it. Well, you know, walking, walking is good, not only for, you know, stretching your, your body and muscular use of mus- muscles, burn some calories, but also, you know, get some vitamin D. Unfortunately, far too many people do lock themselves in during their job already. And then they come home, right, do the same thing. So it's, it's really important just to get out once in a while. Yeah, actually, that's that's true. If you if you work in a building or an office, it's like you're surrounded by fluorescent light, which is so bad for your skin and just it doesn't do good for your mood. And especially because I used to, I've actually I didn't suffer from it last year. I'm shocked actually, but I usually suffer from um, SAD syndrome, which is the seasonal affective disorder. And the first thing I did was when I started suffering from that was I would get one of those light for like when the weather was really dark, just to help me get through it. And I think last year I I spent a lot more time outside and it staved off most of it so I didn't have the same like hit with it now obviously as you said if you're working a full-time job especially if you have kids as well so you're dealing with a job and then family to look after and you know you might be doing all sorts of things and you don't always get this the freedom to go out for long walks outside but you're so right it is important to get daylight if you have to if, if, if you if it's winter months or you're struggling one of those lights that are like mimic daylight can be really good but it is it's not a full-on substitute it should only be used to sort of help until the weather gets better or like you know the lights like i mean where we are now it's summer so we should have sun not so much in northern ireland it's it's mostly rainy and cloudy but there's still daylight coming through and it is really important to find some time to go out and get daylight because it does make such an effect and i think it's one of those things that's so underappreciated when it comes to health how important just daylight is and it doesn't have to be sunlight it's not we're not talking you need to have the sun shining on your face. There's a, there's always been a lot of like controversy around that. It's like, oh, it's not sunny. It's like it doesn't have to be sunny. It just has to be bright. You'll still get vitamin D if you can't see the sun, but it's daytime and you're outside. Something will hit you. You will still get vitamin D. It's such a mood booster as well. So that's always good for like mental health issues. Totally agree too. It's um, many people don't even realize, you know, what vitamin D does for their body, for their skin. They get skin problems. I don't know where the, that comes from. Well, when you're sitting in a dark place like the entire day and you go home and lock yourself in again, yeah, that's where it comes from. As you say, you know, just put some nature on your skin. Whether or not it's sunshine or not, it doesn't matter. Even wind you know, helps your skin to develop better. And also, you know, not to talk about depression that can develop just for being locked in at dark places all the time. I just had a job like this and I'm coming out of it now. I'm locked into a corridor like the entire day, a dark corridor. I have no daylights whatsoever. It happens that I went in, you know, to green grass. When I came out, there was a couple inches of snow. I'm like, oh, when did that happen? (laughs) 
<laughs> I felt like I'm held like a mushroom, dark and dry. <laughs> it was not really healthy, not only for the vitamin D, but also I realized my mood gets really dark. And then I'm not very creative either. So there was no thinking about sitting in front of a computer or write anything. I heard, you know, there are some very famous um, writers, authors, uh, like um, Eric Maria Remarque or um, Hemingway. They wrote their best work when they were depressed or drunk, so to speak. So, But it's not the case with me. I never wrote anything useful when I got depression. I suffer from depression because it mirrors the characters within the characters. They get dark and depressed too. So what am I going to do? I just delete the whole thing. It's not helpful. And going outside and has so many advantages. Yeah, I, I worked in an office once. I've worked in a few where it was such a big building that our desks were right in the center. So we could see windows at the far end, but we couldn't get, we didn't get any natural light. And then I did end up in a job where it was almost like in a warehouse with no windows. And I think I lasted six days in that job. The, the lack of even just a window, like like you could see that there was daylight out there. It was just soul destroying. I don't know how anyone can work in a place where you've no windows. It's, it's very bad for the mind and the body. It's, it's definitely not something I would recommend. I mean, I, I know everyone can't always work next to a window, depending on the size of a, an office or whatever. But yeah, that's just, that's very, that's very bad. And if, if you do end up having to work in a job like that, where you're in a place where there are no windows and you don't get even a little bit of natural light coming in, that's even more important on like lunch breaks to get out of the office and go for a walk. You know, eat your lunch outside. I don't care if it's raining, get an umbrella. Go and sit outside and get some some like light especially in winter months where you're you're turning up to the office in the dark you're sitting in a room you know with fluorescent lights that are just awful and then you're leaving and it's dark no that is so bad and i don't think people realize just how bad that can be on your mood and, and obviously your mood affects other things so like if your mood is always bad it can affect your health it can uh, you know lower your immune system make you prone to other illnesses it's so important and it stresses me out that people don't realize it I'm trying to figure out where I'm going with all this. Just give me a moment. I was going to lead on something else and then I kind of grabbed on to the, the, the working in a dark place because I have done that. And I, I seriously, six days, I think, was the longest. And I just, I just quit. <laughs> I don't usually do that. But yeah, going back to something else you said, when you were going through the different health issues and you talked about like muscular issues and like back pains, neck pains and everything, that is probably one of the bigger ones that happens because obviously you know we're, we're facing screens all day it's like we we might all know how to sit you know you sit with your back straight you know your shoulders back your head should be up looking forwards not downwards but it's very hard to stick with that and I think especially if you don't have your system set up I used to write on a laptop and I got I got rid of that because I found it's so bad to write on a laptop unless it's mounted up because one of the many jobs I've had in my life I ended up working with health and safety person and we had to do we have to send out videos for people to watch and one of them was like how you sit properly how you use your computer and it was saying like how your monitor should be a certain height where your eye line should be you know how you should sit how your arms should be on the keyboard how high your desk should be I remember having to to do all this pr presentation and sort of send it out and then you kind of like as you're reading through it you're like I'll just try and sit that way and I'll just make sure and ever since I changed from a laptop to a desktop and got a monitor I don't get the same neck injuries or back injuries because 
instead of having a laptop and sort of looking down at the screen because it's like down even the ones that are lifted up a little bit they're never high enough i mean the top of your monitor is supposed to be where your eye line is so yeah there's a little bit of down look but like most people have their laptop on a desk with nothing lifting it up they're hunched over they're typing on the small keyboard but ever since i got a desktop and a monitor and a keyboard and a mouse separate i it, it kind of forces me to sit up straighter than it would if i had a laptop that is always something I always recommend. I know people like the laptops. And even if you do, I would still recommend getting a monitor and attaching it to the laptop. So you can sort of close the laptop and put it underneath and then have a monitor above. What do you think about things like that? I mean, how is your setup for how you do your work? I started with a desktop. Then I got myself a laptop. And I realized I got to do something because whenever I went up for the first couple steps I walked like an 80 year old or 85 year old woman it was really painful and then I read how to sit what to do what chairs are best you know it's it, chairs is a big part of it and were your monitors supposed to be uh, and uh, the laptop didn't cover that so I kept the laptop I still have it in fact but I connected it to an extra monitor which helped a lot. Well, there are days when I write and I always do the first draft of my writing into onto paper. I know it's very old-fashioned, but it, it helps me a lot in many different ways. But once I type it in, I'm going to be tied to the computer for a while. And that's very important that you sit properly that you stretch your back, that you put your shoulders back. Well, occasionally you yeah, slouch back to how I should not be, but, you know, the neck pain reminds me pretty quickly that this is not the perfect position. And there is one thing in particular writers should not save on, and that's the price of the chair, because unfortunately, usually higher-priced chairs are the ones that are most healthy. Yes, I 100% agree with that. I have had cheap office chairs that were not padded enough, that the back didn't tilt properly or didn't sit up properly. And I just like, hey, it's fine. I have ones with um, armrests that meant my arms were lifted too high. And it was like, it was lifting my shoulders because the armrests were like fused and they couldn't be lowered. So when I redid my office, when we moved, I specifically went and said, right, I want a really comfy chair because if I'm sitting, I need to be comfy. And I want one with a, a full back it's got to go all the way back up and it's got to have a, the curve that matches the spine because otherwise you can get that kind of, you're sitting and you've got a big gap in the back and you can either end up pushing forward or pushing back. I wanted no armrests. It wasn't forcing my arms to be in the wrong place. And ever since I got this chair, it's so much more comfortable. I can feel when I'm, like you said, when you're sort of, sort of hunching over and you start sitting in a bad position, it's almost like the chair feels uncomfortable if I do that. So I have to straighten back up and I have to stay at the right place uh, yeah i don't care how expensive it is if you can definitely get a good chair and if you can go and sit in the chair and test it i know a lot of people buy online i wouldn't do that unless you have to i would personally go and see if you can sit in the chair and make sure it's really comfy so yes i 100 percent agree with that it's so important well, so many people also don't know that, you know, their headaches come out of neck and back and shoulder problems. We you know if you have the chance and you have the possibility, get a massage once in a while. There's nothing wrong with that. Finish those next 10 chapters, get a massage as a treat. <laughs> kind of force you to keep writing. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'll promise yourself a massage after every 300 pages. What? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we might all finish our novels and get, you know, feel nice and relaxed with a massage. It's perfect. <laughs> I, I don't think I have any more questions. I made a list of, of extra questions and I've asked them all. How do you feel about that? Is there anything else you want to add or you want to talk about? No, I think that's it for the moment. I think we touched on necessary subject, considering we're not experts, but the ones, you know, that are suffering from all that very often. I think we did quite well. Okay. With all that, I think we answered several questions. So thank you very much, AJ. It has been great having you on the show. Before we go, would you like to share a little something about yourself with our listeners? Yes, I'm Aurora Jean Alexander, writing under A.J. Alexander. I live currently in upstate New York with my cat. I'm the writer of the Young Adult Fantasy, the Council of Twelve series, uh, with five published books. The sixth will be published in September 30th this year. So uh, I'm working on further books for that. Um, Also, I have two standalone crime novels that I'm still working on. Thanks again for joining us on the podcast. AJ's links and all her social medias, anything, will all be in the description below. So if you'd like to check out her work, please go and check those links. In the meantime, we're going to turn it over to you guys. Have you encountered any health problems as a writer? Let us know your answers in the comments so we can chat. Remember, we release new episodes every Wednesday. Next week, we'll be discussing how to avoid head hopping between characters. To ensure you don't miss it, hit the subscribe button on the way out. As always, thanks for listening to the Mary Writer Podcast. We'll see you next week. This podcast is brought to you by Reams of Paper, We're Killing Trees. The music title inspired is by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons 4.0.